starting out the, the new year off right. Well, all that God has done through New Covenant Church and the many ministries throughout the years, building these facilities and paying them off, has all been possible through God's blessing, provision, and leading. And throughout that time, he has also worked through the response of a body of believers walking in prayer and unity with a heart to do his will. If you'll turn with me now to Psalms, I'm sorry, to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to continue uh, with our study in Philippians there. And also just a quick reminder that next week we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 3. So if you would like to take a few minutes sometime this week to read ahead, uh, you'll come with a little bit more background knowledge to what we'll be looking at then. Our focus this morning will be on the first half of Philippians, basically verses 1 through 18. And we're going to be looking at the unity and corporate prayer of believers that's, that's seen in these scriptures And as we read these verses and and a few supporting verses, I want you to watch for unity in humility, unity in fellowship, and unity in prayer. If you'll follow along with me in your Bible, we're going to read these first 18 verses. Verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Does that sound like unity? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess on heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm thankful that it's God who does the work and not something I have to do in my own strength. Verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul's saying, I'd gladly give my life over the sacrifice of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. As I said, our focus this morning 
is unity. And the first thing that jumps out at me in this passage is unity in humility. And we see these we see this primarily in verses 1 through 8. First, Paul encourages them to unity. He says, Be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Our first question would be, how do we do that? And Paul's response would be, I'm glad you asked, because he goes right away into telling us how. And his answer is, be humble. I like how the Amplified Version translates verses 2 and 3, and you'll see this on the screen. It says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in spirit, intent in one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel. The good news regarding salvation through faith in Christ. Do nothing... Nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Can you imagine all the problems that we would be, would be solved if we just took this one uh, passage into account in our lives of being humble, truly humble? And the, the reason that I, that I like the Amplified Version and picked that version to share is because it points out that while we're to have an attitude of putting others first and regarding them above ourselves, we have to do it while staying truly humble without being arrogant or self-righteous. We've all seen someone or maybe done it ourselves where we do something and then we're proud of it. We're proud of our humility. How many know that's possible? We do something and then tell someone else, hey, did you know what I sacrificed? Do you know what I gave up for so-and-so? Do you know how I served here and I served there and what I did for them? And I'm, I'm suffering so that they can have something. That's not the kind of humility that Paul is talking about. He's talking about true humility, true humbleness. And he gives us an example of that humility, of true humility. Humbleness, And that example is Christ. Paul's focus was never on himself. It was on Christ. And Christ is who he holds up as the standard. Paul gave the progress of the gospel far greater importance than the success of his own personal agenda. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about making a name for himself. He wanted to make a name for Christ. Paul mentions Christ 36 times in these four chapters. His whole focus is on Christ and making much of Christ. And he was putting his, our focus on him because he knew what our hearts are like. He knew what our humility would look like. So he pointed us to Christ, the only example, the only real example of what true humility is. You know, we like to focus a lot on other people. We look at movie stars or YouTube or social media stars. The adults may not know who those people are, but I assure you, your children do. We look at politicians and leaders, uh, sports stars or singers, and we set them up on a pedestal and a place of honor where we think they're at a different level than we are. And many of them would agree that they're on a different level than we are. But if we were to be truthful to ourselves We've all put ourselves at a different level than someone else at some point in our life and looked at someone else and said, well, at least I'm not at their level. 
At least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I'm better than, than this person or that person. And we all know and we've all experienced someone else not putting us at their level and how that feels. Have you ever had someone treat you poorly and you had the thought, do you know who I am? Do you know who my mother is or my father is? Maybe, maybe when you were in school. My dad was on the school board. I could have, <laughs> do you know who my dad is? Do you know that I'm the president of this or that club or this organization or this company or I'm the director of so-and-so? We look at others and we think that we're something. They should treat us in a manner because of who we are or what we are. And we think, how dare you look down upon me? I had, uh, I've got, could give you many more than one example, but there's one example that came to my mind about my life where this, this came to, to roost. Uh, it was shortly after Candy and I had been married. I think it was in our first year of marriage. And we wanted to take a trip. And this was, this would have been in 1999 or 2000 before all the website stuff where you could book your hotels and all that in advance or easily at least. And uh, so we just went to Dallas without any reservations or anything like that. And so we were just going to find a hotel and I wanted it to be special. So I wanted to find something nice. And I remember we were driving around kind of somewhere in downtown uh, Dallas or Fort Worth and uh, there was this tall glass building, and I don't remember what hotel it was, but it was a fancy one. And uh, so I was like, well, let's go there. And <laughs> we pull into the parking lot, and Candy stays in the car, and I just walk into the lobby. And I, I don't remember how I was dressed, but I was either 20 or 21. So here's this young kid walking into this fancy hotel. And I don't remember if it was right when I walked up or, or what part of the conversation, but at some point the gentleman behind the counter says, you can't afford to stay here. Like, basically, you don't, you don't belong here. And so I didn't respond at that moment, but in my mind, just something, you know, something came up in my heart. So I walk out and go back to the car, and I open the door, and I said, we're staying here tonight. <laughs> so we walked back in. I put down a credit card, you know, to, to pay for this, this room that we'll be paying off, I'm sure, for a couple months. And... Uh, but here was a guy who I'd never met, never seen before, would never see again. Pretty sure I haven't. But I was going to show him that I could afford to stay in this place. And we should have not been there. We, we, that would not have been in our finances. Dave Ramsey would not have approved. Uh, but it was just out of, out of that thing inside us that wants to be recognized, that wants to be at a status, that wants to be at a position. And I was going to show this guy I could stay here if I wanted to. And so I, I, I showed him, you know, I paid. We went off to our room. And I remember even in that evening, it's kind of like, what are we doing here? You know, and it, it was a nice room, but it wasn't nicer than any other place. And it was certainly far more exp- expensive. Um, but it was all out of pride, all out of arrogance, all out of saying, I'm going to show you who I am. And that's what we have in our hearts. We're so concerned with our position. We're so concerned with our rights. And Paul says, our example is Christ. Christ is the perfect example of humility. In Philippians 2 verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who else could have said, do you know who I am? Do you know who my father is? Yet not once did he use his position. Not once did he use that to gain something or to prove something or to get some respect or honor. He humbled himself. He laid it all down. He gave it all up and he served. He knew who he was and that was enough. He didn't need other people to know. He didn't need their recognition. He didn't need their affirmation. He didn't need anything from them because he knew who he was. And in the light of Christ, all of our rights, all of our positions, all the things that we have earned amounts to nothing. So we are to follow his example and humble ourselves, having the mind of Christ, and consider others above ourselves And unity will come through true humility. Let's be humble this year. Let's be humble in 2018 and beyond and set an example of what that really looks like where it's not about us, where we're thinking about others, where we're putting others. It doesn't say that they are above you. What the Scripture says is consider that they are. We're not equal. God didn't make us all equal in ability and all of those kind of things, but he did make us all equal that we're all sons and daughters of God. And we're to respect and look out for each other in that manner and to consider everyone above ourselves and their interests over ours in true humility. The next thing that we see is unity and fellowship. And the fellowship that Paul is talking about is different than the kind of fellowship that usually comes to our mind when we think of this word. For me, growing up in church as a kid, fellowship meant potluck dinners. We were going to get together and there was always food. And we we still do that sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of atmosphere, but that's just not what Paul was talking about. That's not what he had in mind when he was sitting in prison and not even as not. I mean, he would have probably thought he was at a very nice hotel if he was in one of our jails or prisons. He was not in a good place. And that's where he was pinning this letter to the Philippians about not considering all these things, all these circumstances and still having joy. And so he's writing them this letter and he's talking about fellowship, fellowship of suffering the, the thought that I had is this type of fellowship that he's talking about is much more closer to something that people who, who have been in the military and actually gone into battle, the type of fellowship that they have, that they've fought side by side in life and death situations, and, and they walk out saying they're brothers and sisters because of what they experience together, what they walk through together. I've, I've read stories of people who, who, who serve together and then they're back in the states and maybe one is ten states away but needs somebody. They just may need somebody to be with them and a group of their brothers or sisters literally drives across the country just to be with them, just to be by their side because they went through something together. They experienced something together and they have a bond between each other that nothing else could break. 
and they would do anything for one another. That's what Paul's talking about here. Behind the text of the Philippians stands a story shared by Paul and the Philippian Christians, what we might call the fellowship of the cross. They share deep love and affection, even tears. We read of imprisonment, the threat of death, great sacrifice, opposition and boldness, all springing from the joyful reality of the gospel and toward an ultimate priority of the gospel spread throughout the world. That's the type of fellowship that Paul was talking about. That's why that's what Paul's talking about and that is what they have been through together and there's a unity and a bond between those Christians, between those brothers and sisters in Christ because of it and they would do anything for each other. In Philippians 3 verse 8 it says, "Yet indeed I also count all things Lost for the excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He's saying I have lost everything for Christ. I've given everything up for him and I count all that I've lost, all that position, all that stuff that I've earned. I count it as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The fellowship of his suffering. Paul and the Philippians had fellowship together and they suffered together. The word fellowship here means the sharing or bond of identity, purpose, mission, and experiences. And the word used here for suffering means that which one suffers or has suffered. Suffering a misfortune, a calamity, an evil, an affliction, the sufferings of Christ. That's the unity of fellowship. And that's the fellowship that Paul was talking about. And I believe that God is calling us Christians today to this type of fellowship with one another, a discipleship that is living life together, a discipleship where we walk alongside each other day in and day out, where we carry each other's burdens, where we put others interests before our own, where we cry together, where we laugh together, where we just live life together, where we could go to one another and say, you're not alone. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. I'll help you get through today. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. If we have that type of fellowship, we'll have unity. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean that there won't be disagreements or strife. But when they happen, when they come up, that type of bond, that type of fellowship, that type of brotherly and sisterly love will hold us and keep us in unity. Because it's just like Paul said, in the light of Christ, all this other is nothing. And in the light of Christ, in the light of that relationship that we can have with each other, all those little things don't mean anything. They shared this extraordinary, harrowing experience, and in turn it led them to a deep and meaningful bond that nothing could break where they literally were willing to sacrifice their lives for one another. 
Paul right here said he would happily pour himself out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice over their relationship. Epaphroditus, who uh, you read about if you read the whole chapter 2, almost died coming to bring aid and help. And, And then Paul sent him back to the Philippians. So he almost died for the sake of Paul. And he would have gladly done it. That's the kind of fellowship that he was talking about. And then finally, throughout Philippians, we see that there's a unity in prayer. I think we as a church, and when I say church, I'm not just talking about New Covenant Church. I mean uh, church as a nation, a church throughout the world, that we have far underestimated prayer. And we make far too little use of it. A good friend of mine in Amarillo, his name is uh, Pastor Bo Williams, uh, he jokingly says, has it come to this? Has it come to prayer? Like, are the circumstances so dire? Are the stakes so high right now that we're actually going to go to God in prayer? And he says it jokingly, but it's sad that most of the time it takes those type of circumstances to drive us to our knees, to go to the Lord in prayer. But the Bible over and over encourages us to take everything to God in prayer. Every circumstance, every situation, daily to turn to Him in prayer. We saw in Philippians chapter 1 last week that Paul was praying for those in Philippi. And he also mentions that he knew that they were praying for him in verse 19 of chapter 1. And then in chapter 4 verse 6 we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. While we're going through Philippians one chapter at a time and focusing on that chapter, what we have to keep in mind is this is one letter and it all fits together. And all these references to prayer, both in the beginning and the end of Philippians, tied together. Right alongside unity and humility and unity and fellowship, we see unity in prayer. And I want to encourage you this morning to pray more. Pray more on your own, but also pray more uh, together with other brothers and sisters in Christ as we did this morning. Continue to pray with us as we seek direction uh, as a church for where God's leading us. Pray for direction for your family and for your children. Pray for our community, for our nation. Pray. Just pray. We have two prayer groups that I I just want to share some information with you about. You may or may not be aware, but on Tuesday mornings, there's a men's prayer group that meets in the Rock House, uh, just to the left of the church, uh, the east of the church. They meet at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning, and Jim Lowe is the, the leader of that group. And like I said, that's a men's group. Um, but all men, you're welcome to join them any Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. to pray. They pray for our nation. They pray for our leaders. They pray for, for all sorts of concerns. And, and then we also have a very active intercessors group, and this group's open to both men and women. They meet every Sunday morning at 930 and 10 a.m. in the conference room back here in this corner of the building. But they love for you. To join them, and they, uh, if you see in your bulletin, there's a, uh, a prayer request section, and any request that you fill out and drop in an offering container, uh, those are prayed for. 
And they stay on the list. They continue to pray for them. They pray for them throughout the week. They pray for them on Sunday mornings. And a few emails that come in, any, any prayer concern we hear of, they faithfully pray over those. And they're kept confidential uh, just among the team. They're not shared beyond that. Uh, and, and they take that very seriously. So uh, that's another place that, that you can pray. But find time to pray and seek God and to make your requests known to Him. He hears our prayers and He answers. There's also uh, more information on those in the foyer. We have uh, life group information sheets and both those are considered life groups. Uh, so information's there. As always, information on our life groups are on our website. Um, and that being said, I think Pastor Gerald mentioned it earlier, but also this Wednesday, all of our life groups will be kicking off again. Um, all of our spark and children's ministries, everything's back in full swing. Um, so find a place to connect. And like I said, there's, there's this, those groups, those, those uh, fellowships, uh, they do life together. They walk together. They pray for one another in all of all of these groups that we have. So if you haven't found a place to connect, look at look at our life groups and find one of those to connect to to some brothers and sisters in Christ. And they do walk together. They live life together. And beyond that, like I mentioned, we do. I've felt and Pastor John, I've been praying. We just feel this direction uh, toward a closer discipleship among the entire congregation. And and. So this kind of what we're doing right now, the Bible says we're to gather together as a group. We're to sing praises. We're to to study his word. And this is a large gathering. But you don't make relationship here. It's there's too many people. You can't. There's just it's not possible. Then you have the the life groups. And and the Bible does talk about even the New Testament that they went house to house and they did eat together. They fellowship together. But what they were doing was living life together. And that's kind of what the life groups are. We get together. Many of them do have meals uh, and eat together and just fellowship together and, and relationships start there. But then there's another level below that, and I think that's where, where we really see that we believe God's going to be doing things in 2018. And that's what we see what, what Jesus did and what the disciples did with the people around them. They walked together with one or two people in very close relationship and did life together. And they were there for each other, and they would, they would, they would serve each other. They would pray for one another. They would do anything for one another. And that's how we grow in Christ. Together, this isn't something that we do on our own. It's not something that we do on uh, by ourselves. God calls us to this life as brothers and sisters. When we come into Christ, we're all sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters. We're all heirs to that throne. So why would we want to do it alone? Why wouldn't we get together and work together and walk together? So I encourage you this year to, in your prayer, as you pray, ask God if there's someone that he wants you to walk with. If there's someone that you can come alongside. I guarantee there's someone that you can disciple and there's someone out there that can disciple you. There is that relationship and God has that relationship and he has that calling for all of us. We're not called to do it alone God works mightily through unity. If we as a body of believers have unity in fellowship and unity in humility and unity in prayer, there's nothing that God can't do. When we hear His voice and we respond to Him, 
Pastor Joe remind us our, our vision for New Covenant is to know, hear, and respond and to invite all others to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. When we do that, there's nothing that God won't do. There's nothing that He can't do. Last week we talked about wanting a life that only God can handle. Well, that's all of our life. All of our lives only God can handle. And it's when we let Him handle it. When we live in that humility to know that He can handle it and we let Him handle it, that's the witness that people see. That's the light that people see because they know you can't do it. And they see that you're different and something's different. And then when they ask, you can say, it's God. Only by His grace, only by His love, only by His sustaining power am I able to live every day of my life in joy and humility and prayer and in fellowship with one another. And even when we have disagreements there, they don't mean anything because Christ is so much bigger. He's so much uh, brighter. The light is so much brighter than the darkness. Well, bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Dear Holy Father, we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what you've done, Lord. That we have all seen your faithfulness over and over and over. That you have never left us. That you have never forsaken us, Lord. And we thank you and give you all the glory and honor, Lord. And we thank you for what you've done in this body, in New Covenant Church. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. Father, we pray together right now in humility, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to see what you have for us as a body and for us as families, for our children, for those that we work with, Lord, for everyone that we encounter. Show us how we can serve, how we can put others' interests over our own, Lord, how we can be humble, how you can use us, how you can show yourself mighty in every situation and every way, Lord. Because only you can change their life and only you could change our life. You saved us. You died on the cross for our sins. You cleansed us. You've done everything. And your word says you're going to finish the work that you started in us. And you're going to finish the work that you started in our children. You're going to finish the work that you started in our co-workers. You're going to finish the work that you started in this world. And we thank you that we can have faith. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.